Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Tom Hindle. Tom has just published his second novel, The Murder Game. We talk about why he tries to be a plotter but ends up as a pantser, always. Also, how I spied him meeting a childhood hero, of both of us really. And you can hear why he started writing for a bit of freedom from his other writing job. It was very fulfilling to be able to do a job that let me write, but also, you know, your name was never on any of it. You'd always be kind of ghostwriting for someone or you'd be writing a bit of website copy that... Of course, you never read like a, a web page that gets to the bottom and it says written by Tom Hiddell. So um, there was a sense of, of wanting to write something that was just a bit of fun and that was just for me and definitely a sense of I'm going to set myself a bit of a challenge and see if I can I can do it, if I can reach the end of it. Um, and don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, I, I the whole way through, I, I hoped it might be published. Like I, I, mm. I would always work on it and think, God, it'd be great if this was a real book one day in shops and people bought it and read it but um there was never any sense of this is going to be published like you know it was always a bit of a pipe dream and i just every time i open my laptop to work on it i would just think that would be great but right now this is just for me it's just a bit of fun that probably won't ever happen and if it doesn't that's okay as long as i'm still enjoying working on it and and i was that is all on the way with tom hindle in this week's writer's routine Yes. Welcome along to the show. This is Writer's Routine, where we take a look through an author's working day, very simply to see how they get stuff done, how they take their idea, how they plan their life, their space and their time around it to give it the best chance of getting down onto the page and hopefully onto the shelves. Uh, My name is Dan Simpson. Thank you so much for listening, for following and supporting us. I've got so many fantastic guests on the show for you in the next few weeks. Uh, In the last couple of days, what have we done? Uh, I had a chat with Danya Kukavka. You'll have seen her book. If you live in the UK, if you've been around any Waterstones, it fills up the, uh, the the frontage in the shop window. It's called Notes on an Execution. Chatted to her the other day. That's in the can. It'll be out in a few weeks' time. Also, soon, you can hear about a day in the life of an author who has worked on a huge thriller series. Also, he writes screenplays and he was tasked uh, with writing the actual Batman comics. They're all coming on the show and loads more besides. If you want to hear all of them, well, make sure you follow us in your favourite podcast app. You can always support the show too at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Now this week, we are with Tom Hindle. He released his debut, A Fatal Crossing, last year, which did very, very well. Uh, It's all about a glamorous murder mystery set on a 1920s Atlantic steamer. It's in the vein of cosy crime. There's a touch of 1920s glamour luxury uh, and it's it's a little bit darker than that too there's a lot going on in the book his new one is called the murder game i'm surprised in my years of doing the show if i'm honest with you i've not come across another book called the murder game well done to tom for getting that done here's the blurb one house nine guests endless motives for murder In the seaside town of Hamlet Wick, nine guests assemble for a New Year's Eve party to remember. 
the owner of Hamlet Hall has organised a murder mystery evening with a twist and everyone has their own part to play. But the game has barely begun when one guest is found actually dead, killed by a fatal injury to the head with no phone signal and no way out of the house. The others are trapped with a killer in their mists. Someone is mids, not mists, isn't it? Anyway, someone is playing by their own rules and in a close-knit community, old rivalries run deep. I love these stories. Locked room stories. There are quite a lot around at the moment. Uh, what with Lucy Foley's novels, we've had, well, Tom's last book was A Touch Like That too. Uh, Janice Hallett's kind of cosy crime novels are like this also. Uh, I, I love the way that authors keep finding a new spin on the locked room mystery, and Tom has done that fantastically in this novel. We talk about how his writing life has changed since he packed in the full-time job, and how different his energy is. Also why he walks without his phone after being thrust out the door really by his partner to help him think things through. You can hear how he transitions between writing as a part-time job and then writing his own stories. What does he do to switch his brain? Are there any cues or, or rituals that he finds helpful with that? And we run through how he solves the age-old problem of very simply getting two people in the same room at the same time to talk things over. It's all on the way. There's a lot to cover uh, in this week's writer's routine. And we start things off, as we always do, with what Tom sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. So I'm in my office at home. I say my office, I should say our office because it was my wife's office as well. So we have two desks next to each other. Um, so it's lunchtime right now. So she isn't here. So I'm on my own, but usually we're here kind of working a couple of feet apart. Um, my desk is is really minimalist and really tidy. Her desk has loads of stuff on it. Um, I have some shelves on the wall up here next to me, um, which I have three shelves. One has a plant on it. One has, um, as vain as it sounds, all the various versions of my two books, <laughs> which I like to look at and just sort of remind myself of what I'm working towards every morning. Um, and then the third shelf has, uh, it has a collection of books on kind of how to be a good writer, which I should read more than I do. And um, my favorite, my favorite Valentine's present that my wife ever bought me, which is, um, it's a canvas with a picture on it that has been painted by a sloth. And I like to keep that quite close so yeah that is that is my space this is where i i try and write i probably write about half of the time here actually sometimes i move around the house and like write in the kitchen sometimes i'll go into town and work from like a costa or something but um yeah i probably this is where i spend most of my time i would say what pushes you to write elsewhere you say half the time there sometimes you'll mill around when do you feel the urge to write somewhere else I think when I realize I'm just not getting anything done, <laughs> like I think, I think you do need to kind of move around a bit and, and keep things fresh. And I think that being in a different place does help to, um, does help to kind of stir up ideas and get things moving when you find that they're grinding to a bit of a halt. And I think as well, particularly with going out into town and working from like a cafe or something, um, I, like I do a little bit of freelance writing work on the side. So I have a few clients that I talk to every now and then, but for the most part, um, I'm kind of working more or less in isolation. And I think um, I'd probably just drive my wife mad if it was, if she was the only real person that I actually saw and spoke to. So yeah, sometimes it's just a case of getting out and being around some people. Sometimes it's a case of, I've just got nothing done that morning and I think I need a, a change of scenery. And that does quite often help actually. Um so yeah, various reasons. Those are probably the the main ones. So when you're in your your current space, you you you're writing with your wife doing her work in the same yeah. room. How does that uh, go down? Uh, how claustrophobic can that be sometimes? When you're because writing is quite a a solitary and creative art. Is it sometimes yeah. you know infuriating for both of you that you're there racking your brains about a minor pop point? I mean, we probably don't actually speak that much during the day. So she manages a team of eight people. So a lot of her day is, is spent on calls. Um, and obviously I can't talk to her while she's, while she's doing those. Um, and again, she started going back into the office a couple of times a week. So, um, two days a week, it's, it's just me in here. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all right. I mean, as I say, being a writer, you do spend a lot of time just working in isolation. So it is nice to have someone there to chat to. Um, and it's funny. So I, like I came from, I worked in a PR agency before and that was just such a busy, 
bustling environment and there's always someone to talk to and always something interesting or funny going on. So yeah, it was a, a real change of pace to suddenly be working full-time at home on my own with no kind of colleagues, so to speak. Um, so it's, it's, it's really nice having around and having her just there. But as I say, it's mostly just the comfort of having another person there just because she spends a good few hours every day on calls and two, two days a week, she's, she's not actually there. So it's nice having her around. We'll spend a bit more time mapping out the day in just a sec. I know that quite a lot of authors, when they move from writing on the side to then writing more full time, especially coming from a busy office environment like the agency, how have you dealt with having the luxury of hours and hours at your disposal to crack out a a few thousand words, perhaps? Have you found that easy to start with? I think I've slowed down. And I was thinking about this the other day. So I, I was listening to the interview you did with Jonathan Whitelaw, and he was talking about how he has that intense hour in the morning um, and he just has to bash out a few thousand words. So that used to be me. So when I was working in the agency, that was I would get up at six every morning and I'd do an hour of writing before I went to work, maybe a bit more when I got home as well, if I was still kind of awake. So I used to have that really, really intense hour in the morning where it was like, this is when I have to get my thousand, today's thousand words done. And I think now that I don't have that, I have time to sort of stop and think about it and spend more time tweaking the exact wording. And it's not so much a case of just throwing words down onto the page. I really do think I've slowed down. And it's nice to, I think it's a double-edged sword. Like it's nice to have that time to stop and think about what I'm writing a bit more and, and to yeah, just to kind of invest a bit more time in it. But at the same time, I do think I overthink things quite a lot. Um, and I think without that, I mean, there's still kind of pressure to get it all down because, you know, I'm on I'm on deadline to to finish my third book in the next few months. Um, so there's that pressure. But I think without the added pressure of I only have an hour a day to, to do this, um, I'm definitely enjoying having the time to think about it. But I do think it has slowed me down a bit. You've published two books now, so maybe it's hard for you to judge. But having the time to slow down would you say that's made your writing better? Has it? Is it worse? How has it changed things? Do you, I mean, it's very hard to judge right now. But yeah. do, you, do you think maybe the quality was better when you were so quantity focused in a short time frame? I don't think the quality has been affected. Um, as you say, it's difficult to tell because like this third book that I'm working on now is the first one I've done kind of working on it more or less full time. Um, but yeah, I think, I'm confident that the quality hasn't dipped, which is good. Um, I think I'm getting to think about things a bit more fully. Well, maybe that's not even true. So the way I used to kind of do it was I would think in the car about what I was going to write. And then when I got home from work, because I used to spend like a good two and a half hours a day in the car. So I'd spend a lot of that time mapping out like dialogue in my head and working out bits of the plot. And then I'd get home. Uh, and it would just be a case of either that evening or at six o'clock the next morning of just getting what I've been thinking about down onto the page. So, yeah, I haven't really thought about this. I'm kind of thinking as I go, but I guess thinking about it now, um, it probably hasn't changed that much. It's just that rather than doing that thinking in the car, I'm thinking about it now while the document is in front of me, um, and I'm kind of thinking and typing as I go rather than thinking and driving and then just throwing it all down to what onto a page. So it is quite a big change, actually. But yeah, the more I think about it, maybe not such a change, I don't know. must have been exhausting, working a proper day, driving for at least two and a half hours and fitting in a thousand words either side of that. When you were in in the midst of planning your day like that, did you feel the energy sap and had to kind of push yourself through to get your a thousand words done? What, What was it that drove you to carry on writing when you were absolutely exhausted? I mean, with the first one, um, I took a lot longer to write my first book than I took to write the second and my third because it was very much just a hobby. Um, you know, I would do it like I wasn't doing it every morning before work then. It maybe be a couple of mornings before work and a couple of evenings and the odd weekend here and there. So it took me about 18 months to write my first draft of my first one. Whereas with my second, it probably took closer to sort of six months and it's looking like about that again with my third. Um, so. Yeah, with that first one, it wasn't quite so tiring, at least before I signed with my agent. And then suddenly it was on to, okay, these are edits that need to be done by a certain date. Um, but I think once I signed with him, it was just the the feeling of, 
I can't quite believe this is actually happening. <laughs> so as I say, like when I wrote that first, it was a bit of fun. Like I never thought it was going to be published. I never thought anyone was going to read it. And then suddenly when it did, um, that was, I think there was very much a sense of, right, this amazing thing has happened now. I need to put the work in. Um, and there were definitely days when, you know, that alarm would go off at like, I don't know, quarter to six and you'd just be thinking, what am I doing to myself? Because <laughs> um, once I've done this thousand words, I've then got to go work a sort of eight hour day in the agency and then come home and do food shopping. And yeah, there were days when you'd look at the alarm, you just think, oh God, why, why am I trying to do this? Um, but for the most part, it was just a sense of, I can't believe this is happening. And, you know, a bit of short-term pain now getting this done at six in the morning, but long-term gain in terms of my book's going to be on a shelf and people are going to be reading it. And, um, yeah, and I think the second one, um, I think because we had a few sort of reviews starting to come through and people seem to be liking the first one, um, that definitely helps to with with the motivation. Now with the third one, now that I'm kind of working full time on the writing, then yeah, I guess there's not so much of the the kind of physical punishment of doing it all in the small hours of the morning. But yeah, it's it's nice to to see those reviews coming through and and to go into shops as well and hear from booksellers who are selling it that they've read and they've enjoyed it and they're excited for the next one. And that that certainly makes it all a lot easier. All that time ago then when you, you were busy at work and as, as there are so many things that people can do as a hobby and most of the time people don't find space and time to do that. What made you first start to write A Fatal Crossing if you had no idea that it might get published one day? I think just because I've always enjoyed writing. Um like I used to write little stories when I was a kid and, you know, when I was like reading the Harry Potter books and like going to see the Lord of the Rings movies and just starting to get into James Bond. Like I'd write stories about all those characters and a few like characters of my own, like it was just something I used to enjoy doing then. And then, you know, in school, like English and creative writing projects and like, you know, that was always what I, I knew I wasn't very good at much at school, but I knew I was good at that. <laughs> like that was always something I just enjoyed doing. And then I went to uni and I did English language. And after that, you know, my one of my priorities when I came out of uni was I wanted to get a job that let me write for a living because I still had that passion for writing. And um, I, I was still kind of confident it was something that, that I, I felt I could do and I had a bit of a, a, a talent for. Um, so I knew I wanted to do a job that would let me write. And then I, you know, I managed to do that by getting a job in PR and I was writing kind of copy all day, every day, which was great. But I think there was a sense probably when I was about 23, 24 of, I'd really like to write something. Um, that's just a bit of fun. Um, and set myself a goal, which, uh, you know, of, of writing a novel and see if I could do it, see if I could achieve it. Um, and I think as well, like with the, the copywriting that I was doing at work, yeah, it was, it was very fulfilling to be able to do a job that let me write, but also, you know, your name was never on any of it. You'd always be kind of ghostwriting for someone or you'd be writing a bit of website copy that of course you never read like a, a web page and it gets to the bottom and it says written by Tom Heffel. So um, there was a sense of, of wanting to write something that was just a bit of fun and that was just for me and definitely a sense of I'm going to set myself a bit of a challenge and see if I can I can do it, if I can reach the end of it. Um, and don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, I, I the whole way through, I, I hoped it might be published. Like I, I, mm. I would always work on it and think, God, it'd be great if this was a real book one day in shops and people bought it and read it, but um, there was never any sense of this is going to be published. Like, you know, it was always a bit of a pipe dream. And I just, every time I opened my laptop to work on it, I would just think that would be great. But right now, this is just for me. It's just a bit of fun. That probably won't ever happen. And if it doesn't, that's okay, as long as I'm still enjoying working on it. And and I was. I have one that is is very subtly named, read this if you want to be a great crime writer. Um, which is actually quite helpful. I've got the the Crime Writer's Guide to Police Procedure um, and Practice, which again is very, very helpful. Uh, I have Patricia Highsmith's uh, Plotting and Writing Suspense Fiction, um, which was recommended to me by Lucy Foley, actually, at a festival last year, and which is brilliant. Um, I've got a couple of slightly different things. So there's one called So You Want to Be a Playwright by Tim uh, Tim Fountain, because I one I don't know when I'll get the time, but one day I would love to try writing a play. Um, and I've got a couple of others, like I've got Murder Isn't Easy by Carla Valentine, which is less of a, a kind of how to be a writer, but it's more about the forensic 
science in Agatha Christie's books and is actually a very interesting read. Were you um, on, were you, Tom, were you, were you on the panel at Bloody Scotland last year with Carla Valentine? I, I was on the panel, but Carla didn't oh, make she, it. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's where I met Lucy Foley. It was, um, it was meant to be Lucy, Carla and, and myself. And then Carla, Carla couldn't come, which was a real shame because I was looking forward to, to, you know, asking her all about the book. Um, but yeah, that was a great panel. I enjoyed doing that a lot. I, um, uh, we will get on to the day in just a second. Very quickly, it must be quite easy to buy Christmas presents for. A- anything that's remotely about, like, how do you uh, <laughs> get it for Tom? I um, yeah. I saw you, va- I-, I was leaving and uh, bloody Scotland last year. They have this big like music night where every where all the authors there descend upon this tiny pub. And, and I was upstairs and I was leaving the celebration and it was you and Lucy Foley. I want to use the phrase absolutely fangirling over Anthony Horowitz that was there. Oh, you're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, I, yeah, that was one of the most surreal nights. So it, I just, for a bit of context, like Anthony Horowitz is my absolute hero. So I can tell you the first book I ever bought in my own money was an Alex Ryder book. I was going to um, say, we're of a similar age, I guess. Mm. So we would have grown up on Alex Ryder to a degree. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, even like the stuff he's writing now, like Magpie Murders, and like it was while reading a copy of Magpie Murders that I decided I'd like to have a go at writing a fatal crossing. Like, the guy is, um, he's genuinely been quite influential on my, both my reading and my writing. And mm-hmm. we, so we went to, so after, well, so after Lucy and I had given our talk, um, we realized Anthony Horowitz is about to speak and he was about, you know, a couple of minutes down the road because Sterling isn't a huge place. Um, so we thought, let's go and see him. And we went to go see him. Um, and that was surreal in itself. I'm there sitting next to Lucy Foley watching Anthony Horowitz give a talk, which is thinking, what is happening? Um, and then afterwards he was giving a signing. So we went up to, I wanted to get a book signed. So we went up there and, uh, and they, so they know each other, I think a little bit through Twitter, or I don't know if they'd actually met in person, but they, yeah. I think they chatted a bit through Twitter. So we get to the front of the queue and Anthony Horowitz sees Lucy and recognizes her, um, and is telling her what a wonderful writer she is. And, you know, just being very, very nice because he's a very lovely guy and saying all this amazing stuff about how she's probably the best crime writer in Sterling, you know, that day. And she says to him, Anthony, because she's an equally lovely person. Anthony has very nice, but but Tom's here, and I'm expecting blank face. Who is this? Um, you know, and instead, I do get that for a couple of seconds, and then he goes, "Oh, you're Tom Hindle." <laughs> that was a real like, oh my goodness, kind of moment. He turned out he'd read the book and and he'd enjoyed it, and again was lovely. And then he said to Lucy, "Right, Lucy, we need to we need to catch up. We need to go for a drink." Um, meet me in the pub in a little while because he's done a mass, as you can imagine, huge yeah. queue of people wanting to get a book signed. He says, you know, meet me in the pub in an hour and we'll uh, and um, we'll catch up properly. And Tom, you've got to come too. And then, uh-huh. <laughs> so that happened. And um, and that was, it sounds like, is what you saw. And then we spent a good couple of hours in the pub just talking about James Bond and Sherlock Holmes. And, and you've got to bear in mind, this is um, like, this is only probably six or seven months after my first book has just come out, you know, like this is just completely surreal. I could, I remember going back to the hotel at the end of the evening and just bringing my wife to tell her what had happened. I I don't, I don't think she'd quite believe me to be honest. Um, So say thank you for for verifying that that did indeed happen. But yeah, that was a very (laughs) surreal moment. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me get your personalized plan today at noom.com real noom user compensated to provide their story 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. We'll be back with more from Tom in just a sec. Thank you so much if you've sent in your book recommendations, the best book that you've read in 2023 to me at uh, at gmail.com or over on our website. I-, I love the fact that this is a bit of an open goal. It's not the most complex question to answer. And these things often get overlooked. What are we? It's the 10th of February as I release this. And I'm really interested in turning fantastic listeners so many people all around the world that listen to this show, you are one of them in turning our book knowledge into a hive mind and uh, sharing some of the fantastic stories that we've read recently. I, I chat through so many on the show because of the guests that I, I talk to, but some are out of reach. Some are smaller novels, maybe much bigger novels that we just don't get a chance to cover. So if you have read a fantastic book in the first what eight weeks of this year, I would love you to send it to me uh, using the contact page at writersroutine.com. Andrea Walters has done that. Thank you, Andrea. They say, the best book I've read this year is Before You Knew My Name by Jacqueline Bublitz. I think is how you pronounce the name. I picked it up in a Perth airport, or at the Perth airport, I don't know if there's more than one, and had finished it by the time they landed in New South Wales. Totally unputdownable. That is, what, like a four-hour flight? Four-ish hour flight? to just absolutely wolf down a novel in that time when you've got a lot of other things to do on a plane, sleep being the main one, uh, it, it must be very, very good. Andrea says it's about two lives entangled by circumstance, both lost one way or the other, one literally lost. It's got a distinct voice and a very different approach to a crime novel. Andrea enthuses, emphasises, we must read it immediately. I'll give it a go, Andrea. Thank you so much. Also, Kate Brem has been in touch. Thanks, Kate, who says, as for the best book I've read in 2023 so far, I've really enjoyed The Art of the Gathering. And I've also devoured the entirety of Mandrake Company. This is what it's about. I am now in the book world. I hear about a lot of books, spend a lot of my time in bookshops. But these are completely new stories to me. The Art of the Gathering and the Mandrake Company, the entirety. I will um, stick that on my list, Kate. Thank you so much. And uh, lastly, thank you to Cynthia Mack, who's got in touch. The best book they've read this year is The Garden of Lamentations by Deborah Crombie. It's very well written from a writer's perspective. It's a mystery with great pacing. It's so important in this type of books. There are plenty of interesting characters and a few subplots too. The Garden of Lamentations. It does sound mysterious. I I feel like uh, listening to all these stories my to-be-read pile is going to be a stretch higher than the ceiling at this point. Thank you so much. I'll stick all them on the list. So what was that? Before You Knew My Name by Jacqueline Bublitz. Also, uh, The Art of the Gathering, The Mandrake Company, and the last one, The Garden of Lamentations by Deborah Crombie. Thank you so much, Andrea, Kate, and Cynthia, for sending over the best books you've read this year. If you've read something fantastic, if you'd love to share it with us to spread it around our writing community here on the podcast and give us something else, something different to read, uh, please do send over the best book that you have read in the first month and a bit of 2023 to at gmail.com or you can always send it over to the contact page on my website, which is writersroutine.com. I cannot wait to hear what you've read. If you're enjoying the show, if you've learned anything along the way that has helped the way that you tell your stories, if it's changed your day, little bits of advice which have given you ideas for tweaks and maybe tricks that you can use, you can always support us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. For that, you get our unending thanks, you get merch, uh, there is you get bonus content and there is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. If you have published something recently, if you think it deserves far more acclaim and plugging away than it has so far, 
I know how tough being a debut author can be. You go into it with so much glitz and glamour and parties in your mind and it's not always like that. I completely understand. If you would like me to plug away for you, get involved, help out the show, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Doesn't take a lot. Just a few dollars a month will help us carry on. It will help us keep bringing you these chats as often as we can with the best authors around. And I completely appreciate that times are extraordinarily tough right now. Anything that you can give, I promise, is so well received. I just love the fact that you're even thinking of this show. It is a one-man operation. It's just me. So anything that you can send our way, it just goes such a long way to, and it helps us carry on. And uh, I'm grateful that you thank us for helping you out with your writing day. You can support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back into it then, chatting to Tom Hindle about his new novel, The Murder Game. In this part, we talk about what he did when he first decided to write Murder Mystery, the books that he read. Also, about comparisons he's had with Agatha Christie. And we get back into it with, well, the point of the show, really. It's been over 22-odd minutes and we've not covered it yet. Let's actually hear about Tom's writing day. Okay, so my routine is, um, it's a lot more leisurely now, as we've discussed, than it was before. So my routine used to be, I would wake up at, you know, quarter to six, and I'd get like an hour's work done. Um, and then I would hop in the car, and it'd be straight to to the office, and it was all very busy and very frantic. Um, now that I'm doing this kind of full time, my routine instead is the alarm goes off at seven. Um, I, I get up, I have a shower, I have some breakfast. Um, I usually at my desk sometime between eight and half eight, and then I'm there until, you know, half five, six o'clock. And that's me. I try to work kind of ordinary working hours, if you like, if only because that's when, um, my, you know, my wife and all my friends and my family are also online. So I like to be online at the same time as them, just so that I'm also offline at the same time as them. So, um, in terms of what I do during those hours, so as I said, I do quite a bit of, well, I do a bit of copywriting. So I probably spend about half my time doing private copywriting jobs and then half my time working on the book. So the first thing I'll do in the morning is just anything urgent that needs ticking off for that day, like any any copywriting projects that are due that day or any social media posts I've got to write for someone that day. I'll get those done first thing and then move on to um, the writing <laughs> kind of as soon as I can, I suppose, usually about 11-ish. And then that's me for the afternoon. And then if I am going to go work somewhere like a Costa or like a, you know, somewhere like that, it's usually in the afternoon. Um, I'll go and spend the afternoon there. Um, some days I'll go for a walk at like half two. Um, it, I don't, it doesn't have to be half two, but for some reason it just always seems to end up being at half two and I go for a walk. I'll usually go for a walk and I'm just really, really stuck. Um, and Again, my wife has made me start leaving my phone at home when I go on those. So I'm only out for like 45 minutes, an hour at a time. And it is ridiculous how much more productive those work walks are when I leave my phone at home than when I take it with me. Even though I'm not like going around on this walk, like looking at my phone, I think just having it there, you're thinking about it, wondering, oh, is there a, a tweet I should be looking at or something like that? So yeah, probably about once a week, maybe sometimes twice a week. Um, if I'm just really struggling with a scene or a bit of my plot or something like that, I will leave the phone at home and I'll go. So we live um, we live in sort of south south of Oxford and there's a lot of countryside nearby. So it's really easy to just get out and go for a big hour long walk in the country. And yeah, so that's something I do a couple of times a week. Um, and then, yeah, and then I just say I try and switch off sometime between five and six if I'm on a deadline or if I'm trying to get some edits done, I might work later. Um, I might work on the weekends instead, just treat the weekend like a working day. Um, but for the most part, I try and log off about six. Um, I like to do the cooking. So I'll probably cook something a few nights a week. And, and yeah, most evenings it's a case of doing some reading or watching a movie. We've gone back into movies rather than TV shows recently. I think just watching a two hour movie, I don't know. <laughs> I like that you can just sit and watch something for two hours and it's done rather than giving 10 hours of your life to a Netflix series. So yeah, a few nights a week, we'll probably watch, watch a movie. Um, and then that's it. And then I go to bed and it's the same again the next day. So I spend most of my life in this room um, <laughs> and this laptop and, uh, and I'm enjoying all of it. At the start of the day, when you sit down to do the urgent tasks, normally some copywriting, yeah. how hard is it to 
give that your attention when you know you want to be writing and creating and getting back to your characters and and you and your plot is, is it how tricky is that balance for you it's it is tricky when i've really got a flow on with the book and all i want to do is just get to <laughs> just get to the book and just work on that but um i think i'm i'm good at being quite disciplined and i with most of what i do there is like a clear deadline so for instance, like I, I manage a couple of LinkedIn pages for people and I write all the content they put on there. And a lot of that has to be posted on like a certain day. So there, you don't really have the option to, to kind of put that off. It's just, if it's got to be posted today, it's got to be posted today. So you just get that done. Um, likewise, you know, if I'm writing a, you know, a, a blog or a press release for someone, then usually that has to be done by, by a certain date. So, um, I think I am quite good at being disciplined just generally but a lot of the time you don't really have the option it's a case of <laughs> this just has to be done today and there's no other no other way around it so i think that's why i like to just get it get it done in the morning kind of clear the decks and then the afternoon can just be devoted entirely to getting you know a couple thousand words of the book done well then how is the jumping in there when you've done your copywriting when you've managed linkedin pages which mm. i had never heard that was a thing so that's amazing um yeah. when you sit down to get your story done mm. how is that transition for you've been doing one thing and you need to pick up where you left off the last day and, and dive right into it how do you find that what do you do to make that moment easier um it's a good question i think it's definitely trickier on some days as i say if i've if i've got a roll on and um you know if it's rolling and it's going well then sometimes i will just pick up straight where i left off the previous day because it's all you know it has been kind of ticking over in the back of my mind i know what i'm going to do next um sometimes i will have to just go to a different part of the book so if you know i might try and get back into a scene i was working on the previous day and it just isn't working. Um, and I think when that is the case, you can't force it. So I might just jump to a different chapter or, you know, cut ahead or something like that, or go back and edit a chapter that I know wasn't quite working. Um, and then if I have a bit of luck with that and, and that seems to be going better, then I might come back to the bit I was struggling with earlier. So um, I think you've just got to do whatever you need to do to 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 get into the writing like i think with my first book i was really really strict in that i would only ever write um like chronologically like in the order of the book like i in my head i would think right i am writing this chapter and then when that chapter's done i will write that chapter and that chapter's done i'll write the next one and i i haven't really done that so much with my second and certainly not with my third um you know i'm I, I do. I mean, I, I kind of try to, but if, as I say, a chapter just isn't working and, you know, I'll, I'll go and I'll write something else because I know I'll come back to that bit another day and it will work. And you kind of just got to have the faith and the confidence that it will, because it will. Um, you know, I think some days you are just in the mood to write certain things and forcing yourself to write something that isn't working you're just writing something that you're going to have to throw away or change later on. So yeah, I think you've just got to find that way in. And if that means focusing on a different part of the book or going back and focusing on tidying up something you've already done, then if that gets you moving and it gets you writing and it gets you into it, then, then yeah, go for it. At 11 o'clock when there or thereabouts, when you do start writing, yeah. um, <clears throat> is, what's the aim? How do you know, what you want to get done is, is there a strict word count? And if you hit that word count and it's way before walking time or it's way before five <laughs> o'clock, yeah. uh, well, how, how do you deal with yourself then? Do you crack on? Do you take it easy on yourself? What happens? So I set myself a goal of a thousand words a day with the knowledge that I, some days I won't hit that. Some days I'll only do 500. Um, and some days I'll go way above and do like 2000. So I set myself the target of a thousand a day in the knowledge that it's probably going to average out at about 5,000 a week and that that's okay. Um, so yeah, that's what I do. If I like, if I get to my thousand words and it's only like lunchtime, then yeah, I'll keep going into the afternoon and that might be a, a two or a two and a half thousand word kind of day. I just feel glad that I've had a really productive day because I know probably in a couple of days' time I'm going to hit a really, really difficult chapter. Or the worst than that, actually, is when you write a thousand words and then you realise, ah, oh, I've got to go back and like 
cut 500 words from the chapter I did yesterday because those words don't work anymore. Um, so kind of like a two steps forward and one back situation. So yeah, I set myself, um, I set myself like I have a, a to-do list um, on my desk here, like that I write up every morning and every day I will write the, so I don't write like a thousand words. I will write X number of words. So today it's 59K. That's the word count I want to hit in book number three. Um, and I haven't hit it yet, but I think I will hit it this afternoon. When I do, I'll just keep on going until sort of six o'clock and I'll, I'll call it a day at six o'clock. So yeah, I think about it probably in time rather than in words. Your stories, because they're murder mysteries, um, mm. there's a lot of different threads flying around, a lot of characters who perhaps could or couldn't have done it. And the idea that you allow yourself with this book you're not writing strictly linearly, you might fly around yeah. a little bit, implies that they're fairly heavily plotted. How? What, what's that process like? How do you know, how much do you know about the whole story completely before you start writing that first sentence? So this third one, I'm actually pantsing it a lot more <laughs> than I have with the other two. I think the one thing I really need to know is who the killer is. Um, like I've heard about people writing murder mysteries who are happy to just write and see where it goes and they will work out who the killer is kind of with the detective in the book. I I can't do that. I think I need to know what the end of the book is going to be. And then I kind of work a bit towards that. And I think that's why I'm comfortable jumping around a bit and doing different sections of the book. Like, you know, I'll do chapter 40 today and I'll do chapter 20 tomorrow. I think the reason I can do that is because I have that ending that I know I'm building up to the whole way through. Um, I do try really hard. Well, I, I try to be a plotter and I end up being a pantser. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. how I describe what I do. So I do do um, like a few thousand, I'll do like a treatment before I start every book, like a few thousand words of what I think is going to happen and the plot. Um, and it always ends up not getting thrown completely out the window. Like, cause I say the killer always remains the same and some of the clues will always be there and some of the characters as well. Um, but there does always come a point usually about halfway through where there's a pacing issue or something that, you know, made sense as a bullet point um, in a treatment actually just opens up a big old plot hole when you write it as prose or, um, you know, you might write a character that, again, does something as a bullet point in a treatment. But when you come to write them, it's like, ah, God, this character I've written actually wouldn't do that. So, yeah, I think I, I need to know who the killer is because I need to be able to work towards that. Um, but otherwise... Yeah, and so again, I'm just thinking aloud here now. So I'm thinking like the people who say they're happy to just start writing and, and see where the investigation takes them and they'll unmask the killer as they go. I guess for me, it's a case of I know where the kid I know who the killer is, and I start writing and see how they unmask them, <laughs> if that if yeah. that makes sense. I'm just the the moments where you're able to flip between, say, chapter 40 and chapter 20, if if you are to a degree pantsing the whole way through. What's the process of connecting them all back together like? Where when you when you then go back to writing linearly, then you hit chapter four, you're on 39, you hit chapter 14, you realize I've already done this, but they're not quite linking up. Uh, how, how often does how's how does putting the puzzle pieces back together work? I was about to say it's a painful process, but it's not it's not actually too bad. I guess like so for instance, so I wrote, let's say I wrote chapter 30 this morning. Quite often, I'll, I'll like I'll introduce like a clue or a lead or something that a suspect needs to say, and I'll think, oh god, there's a really good opportunity back in like chapter ten to set this up or to introduce it or to like you know do a bit of a Chekhov's gun situation. So it's kind of a bit more like that. So I guess um, like with this third one, so I've written like the first half of the book, and now with every sort of new chapter that I'm adding to the second half, I'm thinking right, I can go back now and I can add a bit more on this right. to. A previous chapter and um yeah so i guess it's i guess it's more about getting the groundwork down like the basic structure and then as you add to the rest of it then you can go back and you can fill in a bit more and, and populate that first half a bit more um I, I have no idea if any of this is making any sense but it it seems to work anyway 
How, this is a strange question, how intentional is your style? I ask that because your books have been compared to what, the, the Agatha Christie-esque murder Ooh. mysteries. I just put down um, a couple of weeks ago, I finished the debut of Fatal Crossing and a lot of that does come through. How, like, natural isn't the word that I'm I- intending here, but how much are you kind of diving into that style of writing normally or is it a bit backwards reverse that you want to write a murder mystery and that's how murder mysteries tend to be told if they're set a hundred years ago yeah it's a fair question i mean i think what i did when i realized i wanted to um write a murder mystery was i went out and i i picked up a load of different murder mysteries by a load of different authors so obviously a load of agatha christie's um we've already mentioned nancy horowitz's magpie murders um i picked up uh, Lucy Foley's first book, because that was out at the time and that was doing really well. And that was getting a lot of Agatha Christie comparisons mm-hmm. as well. Um, I read a couple of Peter James's. So I read all of these different kind of novels within the crime genre. And essentially, I went through more and I tried to work out what story beats today. Do they all hit? Um, and then I looked really closely as well at where do they each leave their own kind of mark and where do they each see a bit of room for their own interpretation. And so what I tried to make sure I did was I was making sure I hit all of the same beats that they hit um, and then making sure I kind of understood where they also left that little bit of room for their own kind of flat. Um, and what was interesting was those, so I wasn't so much, what I, I was expecting to go through and be like, okay, I really like what, I don't know, Peter James has done here, I'm going to try and do that. Or I really like what Horowitz has done in this book, I'm going to do that. But instead, I ended up going through and more picking out things that I didn't want to do. Um, oh, like not- what? <laughs> without without <laughs> dropping in it, no, without without saying, uh, you know, Peter James does this, but what, what kind of things were you reading that you thought, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not going to do it that way? So I think it was more, so things like, um, I'm really putting you on the spot now because I don't want to like name anyone because I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm trying to dob people in, but um, I guess certain ways of, of kind of characterization I would go through. And I think that just wouldn't feel very me if I tried to kind of write a character like that, or um, perhaps like the pace of a book, or like, I just think, okay, I can see why they've done this, but I might want mine to hopefully be a bit pacier or, um, All right, let me let me I'm... let me save you. Um, <laughs> let, let's do the reverse of that then. When you were reading mm. these, when you were taking in uh, the things that they were doing, and you were mm. looking for beat points, again off the top of your head, what do you remember noticing? What what kind of marks did these stories tend to hit? I think kind of like an exciting reveal at the end. So not just like the reveal of uh of a killer but trying to have like a bit of a set piece almost like that was something i noticed a lot of them did and i I made sure i wanted to try and do um the the kind of the speed at which the different clues were introduced and how you would start from a question of like who is this victim to suddenly uh painting a picture of who this person is and why they're in certain situations and just kind of looking at the 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 different speeds at which the different crime writers would introduce all of those details like that was something i paid attention to um so it was i mean i have to admit we're going back about five years now i'm trying trying very hard very hard to think um but yeah i think that that's the sort of thing i was looking out for in the new novel which has just come Mm. out this is the murder game yes um it's they're in this town and similarly to the debut a Fatal Crossing, which I mentioned I read, which is very much a, a locked oh, room mystery. They're on a cruise yeah. ship. Quite often, crime writers will uh, mention, not complain, mention, that it, it's one of the perils that they have is finding reasons for people to talk to each other. Um, how did you get around simply having people wandering from house to house, wondering what's going on? Yeah, I guess you don't ever want it to be sort of boring, do you? <laughs> I guess... I think with the first one, um, I think they need to have a, a really good, if they are going to do that, because I think the first one, they, they do do it a little bit. You need to have a really compelling reason for them to do it. Like you don't want your reader to feel like this is happening just because it's a murder mystery. You want it to feel like natural that the characters or the investigating you know, characters would actually do this. And so I tried to make it really very clear that 
in the first one, they have been instructed to do that by like the captain of the ship. Like they they've got to go around and do this. Um, the second one, um, it wasn't such a problem because the characters are all trapped in this hotel, and there's there's not very much in the second one in the terms of you know kind of one on one police uh, suspects interviews. Like you, what we find instead is because these guys. It mostly takes place in, in like the restaurant of this hotel and the library in this hotel and all the characters are lumped in there together. So you get a lot of scenes where it's like seven or eight characters and they're all chatting to each other and you get your information, your clues kind of revealed through that. So the second one, it wasn't something I had to think about quite so much. Um, but I mean, one thing I would say is trying to make sure that every every one of those interviews ends on like a flourish if you like a brand new piece of information or a cliffhanger or an important clue so that you almost want your detective to go and like you want them to go and talk to that next person it doesn't feel like a chore that they're doing it but it feels like something you are kind of encouraging them to go and do because you're thinking right i i really want you to go and talk to this next person now because i want to know what this new piece of evidence means or what this clue could be about so i think just getting your reader invested in in that sense probably goes a long way Thank you so much to Tom Hindle for coming on the podcast. That book, and I can't believe I've not seen the the title before, it's so fantastically straightforward and brilliant, The Murder Game. It's by Tom Hindle. You can pick up a copy right now. Next week, we are chatting to Georgina Moore from her writing barge. I've chatted to authors from so many different places all around the world. This is my first time in a canal boat. Very excited for you to hear that. She's got a new book out. It's called The Garnet Girls. Uh, She's worked with many authors in her day job as well, many of the biggest names around. So we'll find out how she's taken all of that experience to get her first book down. In the meantime, you can support the show, patreon.com forward slash writer's routine. You can get in touch with the show too. If you do that, whatever you send to me, just chuck in the best book that you've read so far in 2023, writersroutine.com or it's writersroutine at gmail.com on the email. You can drop us a follow too. We are at writerspod on there. Uh, For short little bursts of creativity and inspiration throughout the week with the little videos that I post, little clips. Uh, I'd love to see you on there and I will chat to you next week where we are joined by Georgina Moore. Until then, bye. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.